So as I, uh, as I was listening to the children's sermon and heard Pastor Andrea kind of give that opening, it occurred to me that what she said could really be the entire history of the world given in short. God loves us and gave us a lot of people to love, and then we go and mess things up. You know, doesn't that, doesn't that really describe the way we do things a lot of times? And in some ways, even though it, it leads us into a kind of grisly pr- place, this could be uh, the story of Herod today too, couldn't it? That Herod has been given all this privilege and all this power and all this great opportunity. All this, all this great opportunity to do wonderful things with his power. Where, where he could help to feed people. Where he could help to make sure that there's just leadership. Where he could make sure there's a just government. He's king after all, right? He's somebody who's able to really wield great power. And then throughout his entire life he finds ways to mess things up. This is how his relationship with John the Baptist began, isn't it? John the Baptist came to Herod because John saw Herod doing something wrong. He came and told Herod, listen, you know, you're not supposed to be marrying your brother's wife. Now, we, we hear this, and probably if you're like me, you would assume that it's kind of a, kind of a strange thing for John to say. Because, you know, why would, why would someone marry their brother's wife unless they were you know, like dead or something. But, you know, this, this is a story kind of telling us that, that Herod really did something dirty. His brother was still alive, his brother was still on the scene, and then he stole his brother's wife. So we know right away that Herod is not something that you'd want to trust your bank account with, right? Herod's not someone that you would necessarily want to ba- babysit your kids. Herod's not someone you would trust with much of anything. And so already we know that Herod is prone to make bad decisions, And then we see another level of what kind of bad decisions Herod is going to make. Herod is not only someone who makes bad decisions, but Herod is someone who's willing to to leave important matters up to the whim of young people as well. Now, I just got done telling you that LCY is something that's run by youth, but but we don't quite let them have that much power. But, you know, we, we see how Herod is also kind of easily fooled. Herod is a weak leader which is something that becomes very important. Herod is someone who, when his daughter requests the head of somebody on a platter, rather than than suffering the possible embarrassment of telling her, and this is what's always puzzled me about this story, it wouldn't take much for him to say, you know, I, I did say I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom, but that was kind of going to be yours anyway. You know, I was basically saying, I'll give you something nice for this. I expected you to ask, I expected you to ask for like a bicycle. It doesn't include this. You know, this would be a great time for a teachable moment from Herod to his daughter that requesting the heads of people on a platter is not something that's an appropriate gift for any occasion. But, but he chooses not to do that. And we see Herod's ultimate weakness. And in this gospel lesson, we see something that we're reminded of time and time again in our society that, you know, even though government a lot of times has, has the very best of intentions, it, it will also almost always get so embroiled in the power struggles and the attempt to look good and the attempt to, to do something that's going to benefit their constituents that so often it's hard to get anything good out of government, isn't it? You know, this week, for a lot of us, we saw something happen that, that we'd been hoping for. We saw the Confederate flag come down. And, and we saw in that, in that fight, we saw the wrangling of our senators in South Carolina. You know, we saw a clean bill come into the House, and we saw somebody put 60 amendments on it. 
Now, eventually, they did do the right thing. But isn't it interesting to see, regardless of where you sit on this issue, our government in action, right? We see people go in with good intentions to do something that they thought was right. And we also saw the efforts of people who didn't want it to block it. Or maybe if you sit on the other side of the issue, you saw the government try to do exactly what it's there for. There for. If you sit on the other side of the issue, maybe what you saw was the government, the, the Senator Bright or, and the people from the other side of it trying to block an issue that they didn't agree with. You know, and that's the thing about government is that everyone has their own interests Everyone has their own ideas about what's right and wrong. And most of the time when we get ourselves in trouble in the government, it's not because someone's trying to wreck the place. It's because we have a lot of different ideas about what's right and what's wrong. In some ways, the church is like this too. You know, the biggest fights that we've gotten into in, in my home congregation, Christus Victor, weren't because one set of people wanted to see the church burn and one set of people wanted to see the church grow. It's because we both had different ideas about what the right thing to do was. One of the most contentious moments as a young person growing up in my home congregation was when we were putting on an addition to the church. You know, both, both groups of people on whatever side of the issue wanted to see this addition get built. We all agreed that something needed to happen. We all agreed that we needed more space, but we had different ideas about what that space should look like. And I know this never happens at St. Luke's, but occasionally at other churches, people argue about what color the carpet should be. People will argue about what color the wall should be. People argue about, you know, what kind of budget we should have for buildings. And I'm so glad to know that you're immune to these problems here. But in other congregations, there's real conflict about this. And it's not because we have one side who wants bad and one side who wants good, but because we become so committed to the cause we become so committed to what our idea of what good is that it becomes difficult for us to hear the voice of anybody else tell us that maybe their ideas are valid too. And I think in families a lot of times this is the case too. You know, this is the, the perpetual argument between children and parents. Whether it's the children as actual children arguing with their parents because they want to do something and they don't see what's so bad about it. Or whether it's the children acting as adults trying to get their parents to do things that they think will be healthy for the parents. And the parents, in that case, are acting like the children who say, well, it might be good for me, but I don't want to do it. And I don't have to. You know, we all have those moments in our lives where we know maybe that neither decision is good or bad, but that, you know, we, we want what's good for us at the moment. But then we have those moments, like with Herod where we clearly have one thing that's good. We clearly have one thing that's right. We clearly have something that we ought to do. But we feel trapped by our decisions. We feel trapped by our circumstances. And we're not quite sure how to see a clear way out. And I don't know about y'all, but these moments for me come, maybe not frequently, but more often than I would like. And, and a lot of times, maybe not frequently, but more often than I would like, I find that when I've stood in the opportunity to make a decision for the thing that's going to be right but not comfortable, I choose the thing that's comfortable instead of the thing that's right. And really, at the end of the day, isn't this the difference between becoming a good person and becoming a bad person? 
You know, it's not whether we decide moment by moment whether that decision is going to be the determiner of whether I'm a good person or a bad person. I don't think that Herod started out by saying, I don't know, let's behead somebody if my daughter wants me to behead somebody. But I imagine that weakness in character began with little things. You know, for me, the struggle, one of my big struggles has always been weight. You know, it's not that I've decided all of a sudden that I'm going to eat this giant cake that is now going to make me fat. But my problems with weight have been made little by little, decision by decision. What's one more bowl of ice cream? Oh, what's one more bowl of ice cream? Okay, what's one more bowl of ice cream? You know, or, or why not just eat a little too much for these 12 meals in a row? You know, each meal doesn't feel like it's going to be a big deal. But when you add up those 12 meals, it adds up, doesn't it? That's the difference between being a person who is a strong person of strong character and being a person of weak character. Is the person of strong character is someone who has the strength, moment by moment, decision by decision, to be a little bit uncomfortable in those little things. And what we practice moment by moment, little by little, is essentially the person that we become, isn't it? Because we may think that, well, doing this one thing isn't going to be bad. Doing this one thing isn't going to be bad. Doing this one thing isn't going to be bad. But after a little while, we realize that we have made these bad decisions every time we have an opportunity. And all of a sudden, because we have this collection of experiences that's now become habit to either give in to overeating or give in to the little lies that we tell from time to time because it's much more comfortable to tell somebody a little lie than it is to tell them a difficult truth or, or to do things that choose to separate ourselves from the people around us or to do things that discriminate from people around, from other people who don't necessarily look like us or, or to say my carpet color is the best carpet color of all or to say whatever it is, eventually those habits build up so that we are capable of making those big bad decisions And all of a sudden, delivering my daughter someone's head on a platter doesn't necessarily sound so far-fetched that it should be laughable. That really is, to me, the, the first part of this story that becomes very powerful. Seeing someone for whom this could actually be reasonable. And the second thing for me in this story that becomes powerful is when we think about who John the Baptist is for Jesus... You know, we, we know that John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. We know that John the Baptist is already someone who's important in the life of Jesus. But one of the things that we don't get a very clear picture of, at least in this gospel, is who John the Baptist really is in the community. You know, John's not just like a country preacher who comes out and a couple people will hear when he comes out of the desert and they point at him and say, look at how crazy he is because he eats locusts and wild honey and he's wearing camel hair. And can you imagine how he smells when he comes from the desert? You know, John is someone who draws a crowd. John is someone who, when he speaks, hundreds of people come out to hear him. John is someone who has a burgeoning, growing ministry. John is someone who can speak to somebody like Herod, who is in power, who has authority, who has influence. And when he speaks, it makes his wife nervous because she knows that people are going to listen to him. John the Baptist is somebody who, when he speaks... Herod listens and finds interesting because John is someone who is influential in the community. So, so this is also a, a mistake in the sense that Herod's not just killing some country preacher. 
Herod is killing someone who is important in the community. And he's important to Jesus. When we hear that Jesus is baptized by John in all four Gospels, what we are hearing is that John is laying upon Jesus this commissioning that he has authority to give. It's much more like John is a bishop than John is a country pastor. And so when Jesus, who for a long time is kind of preaching under John's authority, even though he has his own ministry, when Jesus hears that John is dead, Jesus, as an individual, realizes something that becomes very important. Jesus realizes, I'm next in line. All of a sudden, this burden that John carried is my burden. All of a sudden, this ministry that John carried is the ministry that belongs to me. And the next thing we see is Jesus preaching and feeding 5,000 people. In the next, Sorry for those of you who are preaching next week, if that's the text coming up. But spoiler alert, next, next lesson, Jesus feeds the multitude. And, and this multitude is not just a multitude that Jesus has gathered, but this multitude is also a multitude that belongs to John. Jesus is picking up the ministry of John and finds himself in a much different position than he's been in prior to this. And, and so for Jesus, this ends up being something that is a big deal, not just because he loves John and not just because he's related to John, because all of a sudden, this means that Jesus has a lot more responsibility. And we hear this, and we hear this in the context of people who spend our entire lives kind of inheriting things from other people, don't we? You know, whether it's the example that I used earlier, where as children we can rely on our parents, but as we get older the relationship with our parents starts to change, and we have more responsibility. Whether it's, uh, whether it's growing up in a church... And, and being the one who the, who the adults tell not to run through the hall, and realizing one day that you're the one who's now telling the children not to run through the hall, and if you're anything like me, you're wondering why. Or, or realizing all of a sudden that, you know, at, at work, you're no longer the junior person, but you're the person that the junior person looks up to. We all have these moments where we realize, you know, all of a sudden, holy cow, I'm 38 years old, and I look around at all my friends, and my friends have responsible jobs. And not only do my friends have a responsible job, but I'm in charge of things. This should never happen. You know, we all have those moments where we realize that, you know, we are now responsible for things that make a difference in the lives of other people. And we look at our lives and we wonder, have, have I built my life and my habits and the way I live and the way I do the ministry that I've been given, whether it's in a church or whether it's in our jobs, or whether it's in our daily lives, or whether it's in our family? Am I someone who's built a character that other people can depend on? Or am I somebody who has a reputation for, for blowing things off and making little bad decisions? How am I going to wield power in a way that's responsible? And am I capable of it? It's an important question. Because I think all of us look at our lives and we can say both things about ourselves. We can say at once that, yeah, I'm responsible enough. And also, yeah, I wish I were a little better at this. The good news for us this week, and believe me, I had to stretch and look to find any good news in a gospel about John the Baptist getting, getting beheaded. And I know now why pastors Andrea and Nathan picked this week for me to come out and preach. Thanks for that, by the way. 
But, but the good news for us is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we may be people who live according to the choices we've made, but we are not people who are bound by those choices. We are a second chance people. And if we needed a third chance and a fourth chance people, because through the waters of baptism, we are given the opportunity to change our ways and hear the good news that the God who calls us, the God who names us, the God who claims us is a God who also knows us, our strengths and our weaknesses, our good-looking parts and our not-good-looking parts, the parts of our lives where we are responsible and the parts of, the, of our lives where we are irresponsible. And God says to us through the waters of baptism, I give you a new opportunity to not be bound up by those things that you're ashamed of, to not be bound up by those bad decisions that you occasionally make, to not be bound up even when we realize that maybe the color of the carpet that I have picked is not the best, it's just the one that I prefer. That's just an example that I'm throwing out there from my own past. You know, we are not bound to continue to make those same mistakes over and over again, but we are able by the grace of God to choose something new, to make new habits. We are able by the grace of God to make amends for the things that we've done in our past because we have hope for the future, because the grace of God tells us that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God gives us new life and new chances and new opportunities. And even if we do find ourselves in that place where we wonder, how in the world did I get here making these decisions, that as long as there is breath in our bodies there is a new chance to make better decisions and to live our lives in a way that reflect our values more completely. So as, as we prepare to receive new members and baptize people into the church this morning, and baptism is actually one of my favorite things to be present for, you know, we, we hear and hear new opportunities. We have in the new members people who don't know all the old struggles that we used to have. We have an opportunity to invite them into new struggles, you know, we have in these new members, people who don't know the history of the, of the arguments that we've had. We have an opportunity to invite them into new arguments. We have an opportunity to invite them into a congregation, even where maybe we aren't having arguments, but we all figure out how to move together forward in a way that continues to please God. As we baptize the, the child today, we have an opportunity to hear in the promises that we make to that child that the faith that we raise this child up in is a faith that encourages them to make good decisions day in and day out and hear the good news that regardless of whether their decisions are good or bad, they worship a God who gives grace and who gives an opportunity to do something new. So if you're going to walk out of here today and take something home with you and, and think about ways that you can really take this and apply it to your life, I encourage you to hear this through the lens of grace, that even though we confess every week in the old words of the, of the sacred LBW, or we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves, and we recognize that about ourselves, but hear also the words of grace, that in the glory of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us, and for his sake, we are forgiven all our sins. And this week, as we walk out of this place, we hear that we're given a new opportunity to day by day, moment by moment, do things that 
make a difference in our lives for a positive and do things that make a difference in other people's lives for a positive. Not just because God has called us to do good things and that's what we're, we're about, but because who we are is a people of second chances. How can you live that out in your life as you go out from this place? And how can you be the people of the second chance to the world who needs to hear that it's not bound by the things that it's done either? Amen.